So, uh, this morning, what we are going to be looking at, we're, we're looking at Jesus' triumphal entry as uh, he is coming into Jerusalem. So, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 19. So, go ahead and find your way there as uh, we are uh, settling in, and you guys can hear me now. <clears throat> One of the things that we're going to be looking at and talking about as we uh, jump in and, and study this passage today is... Uh, we are going to be talking about this idea of peace. There are few things in the world that are more fragile than this idea of peace. There are uh, civilizations that, that rise and fall and never really achieve uh, peace in all of their uh, experience and, and all of their uh, searching and hoping. You can break a window with uh, a rock, but you can break peace with even just a a cross look or a bad motive or, or something as simple as a word. So uh, there are several different elements of Jesus's triumphal entry that are focused on this idea that Jesus is coming to bring peace. So uh, even as he is coming in, the people of Israel were waiting for their uh, Messiah. They were waiting for their their conquering Savior to come and to set them free from Roman oppression. But as they uh, are uh, waiting for this king to come, uh, Jesus is coming with a different goal. Jesus is coming with a different path in mind. And as he enters into the city of Jerusalem, humbly and peacefully riding on a donkey, we are going to see sign after sign that he is coming to bring peace. In addition to the, the way that he enters Jerusalem, showing that he is coming to bring peace. We also know that before he leaves Jerusalem, his ultimate goal is to bring peace to people. Uh, he will bring peace to the fractured relationship between God and man in his sacrifice that he makes on the cross just a few days from now uh, on Good Friday. But uh, we are looking at a story that this isn't just the, the beginning of the story. If we look at Luke chapter 9, verse 51, we see in that verse it says, When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. So from that point forward, all the way through Luke chapter 19, where we pick up the story with the triumphal entry today, we see that Jesus is, is on a path to Jerusalem. So uh, this path, this journey that he's on had begun some nine months before he finally arrives in Jerusalem, before the moment that we're looking at today, where he purposefully uh, begins a zigzagging journey, first through Galilee, then he goes through the area of Samaria. He, he works his way through Judea. And as he is making that path, uh, as he's making that trip, uh, he stops and ministers in at least 35 different areas, all the while timing his trip just right so that he would end up in Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. Uh, there's so much symbolism and so many things here that we can uh, look at and remember and celebrate, but uh, the, 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 the throngs of people that we're going to look at in just a minute, they, they come pouring out of Jerusalem to see Jesus and, and also to see Lazarus, who uh, Jesus had just raised from the dead not that long ago. And as we see them come out, we also are going to see the religious leaders uh, begin to, to, to get to a breaking point where they were uh, plotting to figure out how they might be able to kill and get rid of Jesus, this uh, threat as they perceived it uh, that was coming to uh, challenge their 
structure and their religious plans that they had set up and, and put in place. So uh, this was a unprecedented time of tension and conflict in the city of Jerusalem. This was something that, that we haven't seen many uh, moments of, of national tension in the same way that this was, but uh, the religious leaders and, and the people who were waiting for their Messiah were wondering, was Jesus going to finally make his move? As this procession came in and he arrived in Jerusalem, was this the moment? Was this finally the opportunity where Jesus was going to uh, establish his kingdom and, and, and overthrow Rome and overthrow the oppression that the people had been living in? Uh, but the reality is, as we're going to see in this passage in Luke, the people really didn't understand what they needed to be set free from. Rome was just a, a small blip on the radar compared to the issues of sin and death and the grave that uh, Jesus was truly coming to set them free from. So let's look together. We're going to look at Luke chapter 19. We're going to look at first Jesus making the preparations for his entrance into Jerusalem uh, in verses 28 through 34. Would you look with me? Starting in verse 28, it says, After he had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he approached Bethphage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, and he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you. There, as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say, The Lord has need of it. So they, so those who went, the, who were sent away, and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, "Why are you untying the colt?" And so they said, "The Lord has need of it." Let's back up just a little bit. Bethphage is a, uh, it's a little hamlet. It's a tiny little town in between the districts of Jerusalem and Bethany. In between these cities, a traveler who was approaching Jerusalem from the east would have come to the city of Bethany, the town of Bethany, about two miles out. And after passing through Bethany, they would come through Bethphage. And uh, as they would come through Bethphage, that was on the slope of the Mount of Olives, just as they were getting ready to go down and to enter into Jerusalem. So what we see here in these verses is uh, Jesus uh, unequivocally identifying himself as the Messiah. Jesus had been, throughout his ministry, he, he, he really hadn't been looking to uh, stir up crowds in, in most of the instances where we see. He was doing incredible things. He was teaching with authority. He was performing miracles where people were naturally following him. But Jesus was never looking to draw attention to himself. But at this moment, at this time, Jesus's choice of the way that he enters into Jerusalem, it, it does something to draw some attention to him. The choice of a donkey that they were going to uh, go and fetch and Jesus was going to ride into Jerusalem, it identified him with the kings in the royal line of David, especially even with David himself, because uh, at the time when David was king of Israel, the donkey was regarded as a royal animal. Uh, after David came and after David uh, lived and was no longer the king, there was a, a transition where Hebrew kings and, and Hebrew warriors uh, started using horses and viewing horses as the uh, royal uh, ride that they should be mounting and, and riding on. But uh, during the time of David, 
a donkey was a symbol of royalty. Uh, in addition to that, uh, Jesus's identification with this emblem by by getting on and riding a donkey, it pointed to a specific prophecy that exactly and perfectly fit uh, what he was preparing to come into Jerusalem to do. Zechariah uh, chapter 9 verse 9 helps us understand uh, what exactly is going on with this cult that had never been written. So Zechariah chapter 9, we're going to flip back there uh, and look at that for just a minute. It's just a few uh, books back, right at the end of the Old Testament. Uh, Zechariah, then Malachi, then you get to Matthew. So just make your way back a few books. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It says, Rejoice, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Israel. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Zechariah here in these uh, verses, he predicts that the true king of Israel was going to come to Jerusalem on a, a young, unused, unridden colt. When kings would come into a city during this time, in times of war or in times of conflict, they would come as mighty conquering warriors. And so they would ride on mighty war horses. But when kings would come in on a donkey, there was, there was symbolism. There was something familiar there for the people of Jerusalem and people during this season. Because when they would see a king riding on a donkey, it had a symbol of peace. People would associate that with not a king coming to conquer, not a king coming in victory, but a king humbly coming in a sign of peace. Perhaps this idea that, that Zechariah's prophecy that he had made that the king would come on a donkey is why the people who owned the donkey simply allowed the disciples to come and to take it. Uh, it's certainly a peculiar scene as we uh, stop and, and read these verses. I can only imagine what that actually looked like. The disciples uh, come into uh, the town where Jesus had sent them and they find the cult that Jesus had told them to find. And as far as we know, the disciples were uh, strangers of the person or the, the people who owned the cult. And I can just imagine the uh, the owners of the cult speaking up. Uh, guys, excuse me, is, is there a problem? You're just going to take my donkey? That, that, that's mine. And the disciples turn around and say, the Lord needs it. And so they just go, oh, okay, sorry, go ahead, take it. It, it seems like a, a strange, it's kind of humorous in my mind as I think about this and as I uh, consider it. But I think there's a few different things that are potentially uh, to explain this. Uh, the first one is there is probably some understanding of the fact that the Messiah is going to come riding on a donkey from this prophecy uh, that we see in Zechariah. There was also a cultural norm, a cultural background for this response in the Roman practice Angaria. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's where a dignitary could procure the use of property for a personal reason. So in times where Roman leaders or social leaders would come and have need of something, they had the right to take and procure private property for whatever it was that they needed. And this right extended to leaders, but it also extended to people like rabbis who were viewed highly among society. So uh, regardless of, of what was going on in that exchange, uh, it really isn't quite as strange as we 
uh, anticipate that it would be if someone just walked up to you and said, hey, give me the keys to your car, and we, we need it. Uh, so it, it wasn't quite that crazy. But what we see is Jesus preparing uh, this incredible symbolism of him coming riding into Jerusalem on a donkey uh, in the same way that Zechariah had promised years and years before. So let's look now at verses 35 through 38. We're going to see Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Luke 19 verses 35 through 38. It says here, they brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. As we look at these uh, verses, we see the role of the donkey that uh, maybe the disciples were unsure of when Jesus sent them running ahead to go uh, grab this colt. They bring it back and uh, the, the role of the animal becomes clear as they uh, approach Jerusalem. So the disciples here in these verses, they throw their cloaks on the back of the colt and they put Jesus on it. And so as he proceeds, we see people putting down their uh, cloaks on the road in front of him as well, and in much the same way that a red carpet would uh, function today. So uh, this is a, a very clear picture, a very clear acknowledgement by these people. Jesus deserves our worship, and Jesus deserves our praise. And so this is an incredible scene that, of celebration that we're getting to witness and, and see here. I can only imagine uh, being able to be there and to stand among the crowd and to be able to witness and experience the worship, the, 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 the unbridled celebration of Jesus. And it makes me think of the fact that one day we're all going to be able to stand in front of Jesus. And for those of us who have called Jesus Savior, have called Jesus Lord, have made him king in our life, we get to celebrate and we get to worship him in the same way that this crowd was able to do uh, back in the old days. So as we see them uh, using uh, the, these, these phrases, these symbols to celebrate and to worship Jesus, we see language that occurs from several different Old Testament passages. We recognize, as we just looked at, uh, the prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9, talking about how Jesus would be riding on a donkey. Uh, but we also see them praising God for all the miracles that they had seen and in verse 38, the people kept repeating, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And this phrase, this line was uh, taken from the Halal Psalms, uh, which were Psalms 113 to 118. This particular line that we find in Psalm 118 verse 26, it had been changed and kind of appropriated as a way that travelers would greet each other in uh, their journeys. So uh, in Psalm 18, it reads, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was a, a beatitude that was addressed to the king as he approached the temple in that psalm. But as we see here uh, in Luke's account, uh, the, the people, the implicit kingly reference had become explicit. They had taken something that was implied in the original message and they were just screaming it out and saying it. Uh, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They were declaring, Jesus, you're the king. You have come to save us. And 
we also see them comment in verse 38, peace in heaven and glory in the highest, which if you had worked your way through the book of Luke and, and we hadn't just jumped from our introduction last week all the way forward to uh, chapter 19, we're going to go back and we're going to look at some of the, the beginning stories of the book of Luke in just a few weeks. And uh, in some of those beginning stories, we have the account where Jesus was born. And if you remember from the, the traditional Christmas story, you remember uh, words that sound very similar to this. Uh, because here in Luke 19, as the people are celebrating Jesus, it's a earthly choir declaring peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But that sounds really familiar and should hopefully remind us of the angels' song when Jesus came. Because Jesus was born as a boy, and in Luke chapter 2, we see the message, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. The earthly choir is singing, There is peace in heaven, and the heavenly choir is singing, There is peace on earth. God has sent his Son to be the man, the, to be the mediator, the one who would stand between heaven and earth, between God and men. And we see in Jesus an incredible picture of the peace of heaven and the peace of earth being brought together and, and a celebration ringing out among the people. We also see in other gospel accounts, all four gospels uh, talk about this story, this triumphal entry where Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all tell us some version of that story. So while Luke leaves out a few details, and we're going to explain why in just a minute, we see in the book of John and in most of the other Gospel accounts as well, we see stories, explanation that the people took branches from palm trees, and they went out to meet Jesus. They began to shout, uh, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, as John chapter 12, verse 13 tells us. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. The palm branches had significance, had cultural meaning for the Jews that uh, may have been part of the reason, the complexity of that may have been part of the reason why Luke left that out because as you remember from what we were talking about last week, Luke's gospel was focused, was was being specifically sent to Gentiles. And so in sending that uh, message, that gospel, that explanation to people who weren't from the Jewish family, who weren't from the Jewish tradition and history, the, the explanation may have been more than Luke wanted to do, uh, but uh, we're going to just touch on it briefly. The palm branches uh, that they were waving, they represented a nationalistic desire of the people to be delivered, to be set free. Uh, during the, uh, the the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's called the intertestamental period, uh, there was uh, a uh, really interesting story of uh, some brothers who uh, came in, the, they were called the Maccabees, and they uh, set Jerusalem free from uh, outside oppression that, that they were facing in that uh, season. And so uh, the, uh, the, the symbol of the Maccabee revolt and the Maccabee uh, uh, conquering of their enemies, uh, they had a, a symbol of a palm branch on the back of their coins. And so uh, people during that time would have associated the palm branches with that 
uh, conquering that, that freedom, that revolt that had happened during the period of the Maccabees. Also, we see in their cries of Hosanna, Hosanna, that was an anticipatory cry. They were crying out and screaming out. It literally meant, save us. And so they were crying out to Jesus, save us, set us free. The people viewed Jesus as a a, a king who was coming to set them free from their captives. He was coming as their deliverer. And while the people didn't even realize how true that statement was, Jesus wasn't coming as the, uh, the, the deliverer or the conqueror that they anticipated that he was going to be. He wasn't coming to set them free from uh, political oppression, but to set them free from the oppression, from the power of sin. While Luke uh, lacks to mention any of these palm branches, uh, there's all kinds of interesting parallels, interesting things. Uh, Maybe I'll uh, send out a link to you guys this week that lets you dig around in that a little bit, but uh, there was all kinds of symbolism uh, between the waving of palm branches Uh, that was associated with the Feast of Tabernacles and the Maccabees. Uh, But this wasn't the Feast of Tabernacles. This wasn't the time for them to remember the Maccabees. This was uh, the the season of Passover. And so uh, as Jesus is uniting those two things together, as people are declaring and screaming, save us, save us, and waving palm branches, remembering how the Maccabees had had conquered their uh, oppressors before, uh, Jesus is coming and the the picture of Jesus coming in conquering power, but also in uh, a sacrifice in the same way that we see uh, in Passover in the stories in Exodus and uh, the way that God had saved his people from death uh, in the story of Passover. Uh, we see just a, a really interesting blending of stories and things that we don't have anywhere near enough time to study today. Uh, but it really is a, an interesting topic. So I'd encourage you to go look around a little bit. We'll send you some information on that after this is over. But uh, we see an incredible scene. The, the short version and the simple version of it is, for those of us who aren't Jewish people who understand all of this imagery and all of these things that we're seeing in uh, this story, the simple thing that we can remember and that we can take from this is the people were celebrating and the people were excited to see Jesus come because Jesus was going to finally set them free. And so we see this incredible scene of worship and celebration of Jesus in uh, his triumphal entry. Let's look now at uh, the fact that Jesus will, absolutely will, receive the praise that he deserves and uh, the response of some of his critics in Luke chapter 19, verses 39 and 40. We're going to look at these last two verses in our passage today. Luke 19, verses 39 and 40. It says here in these verses, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. The Pharisees in the crowd were saying to Jesus, rebuke your disciples. They were, they were upset, but it's, it's a little bit unclear of why exactly they were upset. We're not sure if they were just concerned about uh, retaliation or they were afraid of the Romans who uh, thought they may have been uh, stirring up some political unrest. And so they thought they, uh, the Romans were going to hear the parade and come out and squelch it or whether they were upset because the adoration that was being poured on Jesus, they thought it was misplaced. It was no secret 
throughout the story of the Gospels that uh, the Pharisees didn't think that Jesus was who he said he was. And so they were uh, clearly upset about the fact that, that Jesus was receiving this worship. But whatever their motivation was, the fact that Christ turns and responds to them the way that he does in this passage is uh, very indicative of something that it's important for us to all remember today as well. Jesus turns and responds to them and says, I tell you, if the crowd gets quiet, nature itself will cry out and will worship. We see this idea in several different places in scripture. Jesus says, even the stones will cry out. But we see uh, there are other places in scripture that talk about creation itself, screaming and declaring that God is the king, that Jesus is worthy of all worship and all praise. And so uh, we see passages that talk about the idea that the trees will clap. Isaiah 55 says the trees will clap in worship. I, uh, Psalm 114 verses 4 and 6, uh, as well as Isaiah 55, talk about the fact that the mountains will skip and sing in praise of our God. Psalm 19 says that the skies will declare his handiwork. And Psalm 150 even cries out, everything that has breath will praise the Lord. So we see in several different places in the Old Testament and in Scripture that if the people fail to worship, if we as the people that God created to worship him fail to worship, even creation itself will scream and cry and dance and sing out that our God is worthy of all that we have to offer. So uh, we see these reminders and we see uh, Jesus's response here. And his response is uh, famous in many uh, expressive worship situations. In, in several expressive churches, you may hear uh, this verse that if the if the uh, people keep quiet, even the stones will cry out. And we see uh, in those words a reminder and a plea to us. Never cease to worship the king who deserves our worship. Don't let anyone stop you from praising Jesus, whether that be the religious leaders like the Pharisees, whether that be uh, proper religious folks who would uh, look at you with a, a cross look if you are, are worshiping in a way that, that perhaps doesn't make sense to them, God deserves everything that we have to give. And so while we're at home, we're going to worship and sing in just a few minutes. But when we do that, let's give God everything that we have, just in the same way that this crowd did, just in the same way that, uh, that, that Jesus explains that if we don't worship, if we don't cry out and sing out about how great he is, nature itself will. I don't want a, a rock to do my job for me. I want to sing and declare the greatness of God, and I hope you will uh, with me as well in just a minute. So as we uh, start to wrap all of this up, as we start to bring all of this to a, a close, we started talking about the idea that Jesus was coming to bring peace. So I, I want to finish today with, with asking a question and asking you to consider a few things this morning. Do you know how to find peace with God? Do you have peace in your own life? Because it doesn't take long for us to, to sit and watch the news for just a few minutes for us to see that, that the world does not have peace in the way that Jesus describes peace. 
that the world does not have a, a sense of comfort and calm that we see here in Jesus as he's coming in in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus came to bring peace. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14, write that verse down. It says that Jesus Christ, that he himself is our peace. We will not have peace with God. We will not have peace in our relationships with other people. And we will not have peace in our own hearts, in our own souls, if we do not first allow Jesus Christ to be the one who brings peace into our lives. We are in a world full of conflict. And if it's not for Jesus and the peace that he brings, that is an endless and a helpless pursuit that we will just we, we will ultimately fail in if we try to find peace anywhere other than in Jesus Christ. But when Jesus Christ comes, he comes to bring us back to God, to bring us back into a right relationship with God so that we might be able to have peace with God. One of the interesting, uh, unique observations that I, I want to point out to you as we're finishing up that Luke makes this observation in his story of the triumphal entry. Maybe you noticed it as we were reading through. Maybe you didn't, but I think this is an important idea for us to pause and to think about for a minute. In Luke 19.37, we see it talks about the fact that the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully. In verse 37, it says, As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. This detail is is not mentioned in the other Gospels. This this is something that that Luke does uniquely, and and we don't see the other writers stop and and mention. But I think this detail, it, it may help us to understand a little bit this week, how this week, as we look at Jesus triumphantly coming into Jerusalem and people declaring, our king is coming to save us, Blessed is the name of the one who comes. We, we see today reflection on the fact that Jesus is the king and a celebration of who he is and, and cries of worship for him. Yet just a few days later on Good Friday, we're going to see and reflect on the fact that the crowd ultimately turns on him. And the many of those same people who maybe today in this story were screaming, Hosanna, save us, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Just a few days later are the same people who are screaming out, crucify him, kill him, get rid of him, give us Barabbas, the, the, the evil criminal, and, and murder the perfect son of God. As we see those same people, that, that flip-flop, I, I always wrestle with and, and wonder how in the world can those same people say uh, one day, praise be to Jesus, our saving king, and just a few days later scream, kill him, kill him, crucify him. Luke's mention here, it talks about the fact that it was the crowd of the disciples who began to praise God. And then this crowd of disciples, the people who had been following Jesus, the people who did believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the one that he said that he was. They become the catalyst for the rest of the crowd to praise that the, that the other Gospels uh, note. The, the, what we see here in this story of fluctuation where today we see Jesus' disciples 
crying out praises and the crowd join in. Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes. Praises be to Jesus. And a few days later, we see them screaming out, crucify him. What we see here is the fact that the popular masses, what other people say, ultimately it it changes so frequently that we cannot base our understanding of truth. We cannot base our assessment of Jesus or, or really anything in life based on what the popular opinion is. Because the popular opinion, as we see in this story, and as we will see in the crucifixion story, it can change in an instant. A few loud people uh, screaming Hosanna or screaming crucify him swayed the opinion of the crowd, swayed the opinion of the multitude. And so as we see these voices in the crowd flip-flop back and forth and back and forth, Uh, What I see and what I, I want us to pause and to reflect on this morning is that many of the people who were screaming out Hosanna and singing praises to Jesus in this story, they probably truly weren't convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. They hadn't decided for themselves who Jesus was. They were just repeating things that they had heard other people say. And maybe, just maybe, There's some people out there listening to this message this morning that find themselves in a similar place. Perhaps you have, uh, throughout your life or or in your religious experience, you found yourself repeating what other people said was true, but you don't know for yourself what you truly believe about Jesus. Can I stop and just encourage you today? Don't be like the crowd who one moment was screaming praises to Jesus and the next, uh, when, when popular opinion had changed, had turned their back on him. It's important for us as uh, responsible human people to, to make our own decisions in the things that we say and the things that we do. We can't just pass blame and pass responsibility to other people because we're just repeating what someone else said that we heard. It's important for us to stop and to slow down and to reflect and to make our own decisions about what is true. So I ask you today, every person, every person within the sound of my voice, listen and ultimately make the decision for yourself. You have to answer this question on your own. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Is Jesus the king of the universe, the one who came that, that the people were crying out, save us, save us. You're going to be the one to set us free from the captivity that we have been in. Or are you like the religious leaders who were trying to shut the crowd up? Are you like the, the people who just a few days later were easily swayed and easily convinced to turn their back on Jesus when it was no longer popular to praise him and to scream that he was the king? They turned their backs. How will you respond to Jesus today? Will you make that decision for yourself and decide that Jesus is worthy of being the king in your life? The Bible tells us that that God is willing that uh, that he offers salvation to anyone who would receive it. That that if there is a a desire in your heart to to give your life to him and to call him Jesus, your Savior, to, the, to allow him to be the one who has set you free from sin, has set you free from the fear of death that we're going to be talking about next week as Jesus overcomes death. 
in the Easter story, will you allow him to be that person in your life? Will you allow him to be the king in your life? If you will, uh, I'm so thankful for that. Hopefully you have already. If you haven't, but you want to make that decision, uh, we are going to have our team, our prayer team available uh, for you to contact and reach out to. So if you look in the comments underneath of this video, there'll be some information for a way that you can get in touch with us as a church. And someone would love nothing more than to explain to you how to let Jesus be the king in your life. For you to make that decision for yourself. Is Jesus the king? Is he the Messiah? Is he the one who's come to save us? Or is he just some religious crazy person that, that deserves to be killed and murdered and gotten rid of uh, in the story of the crucifixion? Who do you believe that Jesus is? So as we finish up today, I want to pray and we are going to sing a couple of different songs, hopefully, if YouTube works. Uh, we are going to uh, pray and then we're going to sing. We're going to sing a couple of different songs that talk about how we should respond to Jesus. But let's stop and, and just worship God in prayer in the same way that the crowd did, that our Savior, the one who has come to set us free, has come. Would you pray with me? God, we are so thankful for this story that we can stop and remember on this special day, Palm Sunday, when we can stop and we can look back and we can remember how the crowds celebrated and screamed out that you are the one who has come to save us. Hosanna in the highest. God, you are the one who comes to save, riding on a humble donkey. You've come to bring us peace. And so, God, we pray this morning, God, my desire, my heart is that people who know you, God, that this story of worship and celebration of King Jesus would stir our hearts to worship you, would stir our hearts and our affections to, to, to burst out of us praise and worship and celebration that you are our king. Because God, we know that as Jesus said, if we are not willing to worship, if we do not scream out and cry out and give our praise to you, creation will take our place and the stones and the mountains and the trees and the oceans will roar at the sound of your name. So God, we pray that we would take our place as worshipers and people who celebrate who you are. And God, for those who are listening today who have not made that decision for themselves, who is Jesus to them? God, I pray that they would, uh, God, that they would, would hear the sound of your voice in their heart today. And God, that they would respond. God, that you would bring life into these people, that you would stir and awaken their soul, that you would put life into them. And God, allow them to see that Jesus came to to, to come into Jerusalem to ultimately offer himself, to offer his perfect life as a sacrifice so that they could be forgiven. God, thank you that, that I can be forgiven because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And God, I pray that if there is anyone out there who's listening who has not made that decision, God, I pray, I beg that they would come, that they would respond, that they would get in touch with us as a church and let us know that their desire is to make you king and, and boss and lord in their life. So, God, we, we worship you because you deserve it. We worship, we join in the crowds proclaiming, save us. God, you are the king. Jesus, you are the one who has come to set us free. So, God, we celebrate that this morning. We love you. Amen.